Well, I think the bottom line for me is um, I have learned that when God asks us to do something, that he wants us to obey him. God wants to use our weaknesses, and it's in our weaknesses that he is strong. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to First Person, where we choose to talk with a guest each week to learn their story of God's calling and provision in their life. Today we'll meet a woman who could have let a medical condition dictate life to her, but instead chose to believe 2 Corinthians 12.9, which says that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We'll hear Alice Thiessen's story today. First Person is a weekly program, and you'll find more information about today's guest online at firstpersoninterview.com. Also on the website is a link to His Wheels International, which is the organization Alice founded in spite of her disability. We'll also place some photos on our Facebook page. I learned about Alice and this unique ministry from a mutual friend who pointed me right across town a few blocks from my own studio, where Alice and her team repair and assemble bikes and trikes. As we stood there on the assembly line, I began by asking her about the medical diagnosis that threatened to change her life. Well, chronic fatigue syndrome, the um, title makes you think that it's just that you're chronically tired. But in 1992, it was also known as yuppie flu. Chronic fatigue syndrome has not gotten a good title to it because over 50% of people go in to the doctor complaining of chronic fatigue. But chronic fatigue syndrome is a invisible disability that affects every um, body system. I've seen over 19 specialists from 19 different areas of medicine. It has totally ransacked my life. But the word syndrome in the medical world means that we don't really know what it is. We don't know what causes it. For me, what happened was when I was uh, 30, I was four days from going on a 1,000-mile bicycle trip, and I woke up and went to the into get ready for work. And three hours later, I crawled out of the bathroom unable to stand. I slithered to the phone, and I called my boss, and I said, I won't be in for work today. And what I didn't know then was that was the last day I would ever return to full-time work. Did it come on that suddenly? You know, it might have come on earlier. I I was a nurse at the time. Um, And it might have come on, but it was such fluky symptoms that you you just thought, well, I just need to go home and go to bed. It's um, my face would turn red from the uh you know the part of the neck you can see up until the um top of my head and i didn't know why my heart uh, was a cardiac rehab nurse and my heart was doing funky things but i had no idea what was going on i could never find it and yet i could read ekgs so it just has affected every area of the body. One physician who works in infectious disease works with CFIDS patients and AIDS patients. His name is Dr. Mark Loveless. And in the 90s, he said a CFIDS patient feels significantly the same as an AIDS patient feels two months every day as an AIDS patient feels two months before death. Hmm. CFIDS is the acronym for? It's the acronym actually for chronic fatigue immune dysfunction syndrome. 
CFIDS or CFS is chronic fatigue syndrome. They're all, or Epstein-Barr, yuppie flu, uh, all in the same category, and nobody knows what causes it. You were a very active person. You said you were about to leave on a thousand-mile bike trek when this happened to you? Yes. Matter of fact, it was going to be a a two-and-a-half-week interview, and I was going to go... From there, I was going to go and work with um, the organization I had done all my cycling with as a child and Wandering Wheels and lead cross-country bicycle trips. And so four days before when this hit, I was devastated. I woke up and I thought, okay, I can't make it today. And every day I'd call uh, the team and I'd say, I'm going to try and make it tomorrow because it seemed like the flu. I had... uh, I had a low-grade temperature. I had, uh, I, I had what you would call a bad flu type of pain th- hmm. throughout my body. Um, whenever I'd stand up, the room would spin on me. I couldn't be out of bed for more than an hour or two. And I just figured, hey, this flu is going to end in 24 hours. You're a nurse. You know it's going to run. It's going to run its course, right? Yeah, I didn't think it was going to run this long of a course. Huh, yeah. Well, physically, of course, it affects you tremendously. Emotionally, how did it affect you? Well, certainly, the word "yuppie" flew in and of itself. A couple of weeks prior to hearing that, I thought, "Wow, the yuppies even have their own flu." <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, speaking of something that's derogatory, when I got the diagnosis, I felt like. The physician had read uh, read me my life sentence and thrown away the key. Mm. I mean, I was devastated. I knew that medicine didn't have an answer. I uh, was I'm single. I live alone. I wondered where my next dime would come from. I wondered when I would be homeless. Um, it left me just totally a mess. You were unable to hold down a job, right? Right. I, matter of fact, since 1992. Well, in my whole adult life, I have only worked four years full time in my life, and I'm I'm nearing nearing the mid mark. Well, we're talking to you because even though you still live with CFIDS, you have uh, taken on a responsibility that's just incredible. Well, <laughs> when did the turn come about? We're going to talk about His Wheels International, but when did this turn come about for you? When did you realize I need to do something? Well. Um, you know, it's interesting that this thing of I need to do something, I had been doing something all along. Prayer had become my number one occupation uh, back in 1988. And when CFITS hit in 92, I um, said to God, um, I'm going to start praying an hour a day. So between 1992 and 2003, I prayed an hour a day, and then at some point I ramped it up to two hours a day. Really? So, um, and so it was in the backdrop of my number one profession becoming prayer instead of productivity that God had a plan. And his plan, his next step in his plan, was that in 2003, in the height of the deepest despair I could be in, I had disability insurance. And um, one day I got a notice that said, uh, your disability benefits have been terminated. Oh boy! That was early 2003. And that was 24 years earlier than 
what those benefits were guaranteed to me till. And since you weren't independently wealthy. Yeah, and I knew that I didn't have anybody I knew that was about to um, give me a, <laughs> a nice inheritance. I was spooked. I, I, by statistical purposes, I should be homeless on the street due to my medical condition. So you lose your disability income. How does God provide? Well, that's a very good question. Matter of fact, I was at church one day, and a woman said to me, you know, in the very awkward way of wanting to care about me, she says, uh, uh, how are you doing? I said, well, I have a roof over my head. I have food in the fridge. I have my, I'm debt-free. I have money in the bank. How do you think? How does it sound? She said, wow, you're doing better than most. And... Um, but I went home and I thought, you know, God, how have you provided? <laughs> so I kept what I called a God come list. You know, there's income, and then I called it God come. <laughs> and what I did with my God come list was I um, decided everything I got for free, I would write the thing down, and then I would give just a low ball number to it. So shortly thereafter, I went into a doctor's office and I came out and I said, hey, are there any free samples? And she said, oh, boy, I'm really sorry. There aren't any samples for the medication you need. And I turned around and the secretary said, well, if you would just sign on this line, the drug rep is here to give you all those medications. So then I went to another chiropractor. So that was God come. That was God come. And it was a big God come. Then I went to a chiropractor. And the chiropractor... um, I had helped him with some financial issues, just counseling him one time. And I went to pay the bill, and the woman said, oh, it says no charge. <laughs> and so, um, and then um, at that time, in 2003, there were a lot of houses in, in my neighborhood that were being torn down because of uh, bigger houses being put up. And um, I called an owner, and I said, hey, uh, you know, you got a nice, lot of nice plants in this yard. Can I take them? Oh, sure. So I was able to give those to my friends. So that was God come to and that I was not having to pay for gifts. And they had a sink, and I needed that. And so God provided in a six-month period over close to $11,000 in God come income. It was more than what I would have made in my disability insurance. It, it kind of sh- showed me yet again that My God is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Coming up in a moment, we'll walk around the shop at His Wheels, talk more with Alice, and meet some of the volunteers. My guest next week will be a man who witnessed the revolution in Romania. 1989, in December of that year, was the Romanian Revolution. And yeah, we were on the streets. I got, for the first time in my life, I got the machine gun, you know, in my hand, and People were fighting on the streets and just an experience of a life and death. Now, more than 20 years later, he serves as the pastor of a growing church in Romania, a life transformed by Christ. We'll meet Christian Barboso next week on First Person. Let's go back into the busy workplace at His Wheels International. We'll meet some of the volunteers in a moment. But I ask Alice Thiessen to describe the work that they do in this shop. Well, we're at His Wheels headquarters, and um, we've just been here since May of 2000 of this year, and we do a lot of things here. We work on bikes weekly, 
Um, we have mechanics days where we have children all the way up to, um, we have multi-generations that work with us fixing bikes. And so we have guys who come and repair bikes for our national side of our ministry, which is recycling cycles. Hmm. So you rebuild them, or in some cases, you actually construct new bikes and new trikes, right? Well, we don't construct new bikes, but we do have a section in our headquarters where we have um, designed and built a hand-pedaled three-wheeler. We affectionately call it trike. And that is for those in other countries who've been hit by landmines, polio, and other disabilities. And as Unfortunately, we claim that in the 20th century, one of the most deadliest things that came in that era were the landmines. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the recipients, Uh, people who have perhaps lost their legs or have some other form of disability. In the case of this trike, it makes it possible for them to get around. Do you provide that to them at no cost? How does that work? Well, um, we're just at the beginning of that. Um, Since we've started the trike project, we've distributed 52 trikes of ours in some way. But we do not want to just give something to someone because we believe that dignity means that we give and receive um, from each other. So, But in America, we think about dignity in the form of dollar bills. Mm -hmm. Overseas, they don't have dollar bills. And we're serving, as Scripture says, the least of these, my brothers, with the trikes. So we have, we are asking those who we partner with to ask for something in return for the trike. For instance, we just got a trike to a teacher in Angola who became paralyzed at the age of seven with polio. She crawled from her village to school um, once a once a week from where she lived, and then every day had to crawl. To class, and the trike now will let her take her off the ground, off of crawling like an animal, and it will allow her mobility and dignity because now she can look in your eyes and not look to the ground like an animal. How do you distribute them? Do you go yourself? Do others go? Do you just put them in a box and send them off? How does that work? <laughs> well, we're in the process of. Uh, Many different things. In uh, 2008, between 2008 and 2010, we had a gentleman who um, built 20 locally in North Africa. And just in December, in January, they distributed the last 13 of those 20 trikes to uh, people that were identified by physical therapists. Um, in May, we sent 15 trike kits, that means just the trike parts mm-hmm. that are all bent, and um, we sent them in a container box on a container with uh, to Soto Christian Hospital in Ethiopia. What they will do is hopefully they will um, have a vocational rehab on the grounds where they will weld them and paint them. And that saves us about $500 a bike, but it also gives them something to contribute. And the, the surgeon will decide who 
receives them after this orthopedic surgeon does surgery on them. What a tremendous thing. And, and we'll put some pictures on our website so listeners can actually see these trikes and these bicycles that are being built here. Now, we walked into this place. It got kind of quiet. You've got uh, half a dozen volunteers working around here. I think uh, they're Wayne, intimidated by the microphone. Silent, silent lean effect on these guys. But here's, uh, here's a, a gentleman. Tell me your name, sir. Everett Peterson. Everett, uh, you're working on a child's bike here. You're obviously refurbishing this? Well, just trying to check it out and see what needs to be done to make it usable. How long do you think, uh, how much time do you, will you spend on getting this bike ready to go out? Mm, this way, maybe an hour. That's it. And then it's all ready to go out and it'll be used by a child somewhere. Right, Alice? Right. Our, um, our local program, we have served, uh, we have distributed so far over 1,300 bikes. Those have gone to immigrants, refugees, international students, um, part of Angel Tree Project. Um, a church in Bronson, Michigan took about 20, or no, 100, and they, they then partnered with the school district. Let's uh, go over to one of these uh, trikes. It's unimaginable, if we were to lose our legs, how we'd get around, and yet this this provides a way for someone. This is an amazing piece of machinery here we're looking at. Yeah, it is, you know, and in 2005, three months after we started his wheels, um, we decided to... I was at a meeting with an Ethiopian government official who said we need trikes throughout Africa. I was going to go take a welding class. Yeah, let's get the designer over here. He's, and, uh, he's a little mic shy, but uh, <laughs> don't worry. We're friendly. <laughs> tell, me, tell me your name. My name is Kevin Nikolic. And Kevin, you uh, actually helped design this trike, huh? Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, like Al said, back in 2005, we uh, ran into each other at a small event and... Um, she showed me a picture uh, of what she was wanting to do, and to my mind, being a person that likes things as simple as I can get them, it looked a little complicated, so I said, let's take about a week or so and see if we can redesign it so it's easier to build, and um, here we are, how many years later, I don't know, but still doing the same thing. <laughs> so, Alice, uh, how much does it cost to build one of these? Well, for the trike kit, which um, is prior to the welding and the painting, the kit cost about $275. That's it? Yes. I'm, uh, I'm a bit surprised by that. It, <laughs> I, I would have thought, looking at the, all the work that goes into this and all the parts and the design and, and the labor that goes into it, it costs a lot more than that. Well, the labor that you're paying for is the bending of the tubes, but I um, Kevin took our original trike uh, from about 50 um, welds to, I think this has about 20 welds, right, Kevin? Yeah, 20 or 30, about half as many as whatever it was to start with. Yeah, we simplified it a lot. But you have to make it very sturdy. Yeah, that is one of the, the primary requirements is to make something that can be pretty well beat upon. Because once you put it out there, there's probably not a whole lot of people who can fix it afterwards, are there? Yeah, well, that's what we're afraid of, isn't that in some cases, even though there's a lot of welders in Africa, you know, will they be in the right place at the right time? And usually you're by yourself if you're out there pedaling. So, yeah, you don't want it to break on you. I, I know you're doing this uh, and you're going about your work here and I'm interrupting your work today. But just <laughs> just deep inside, why are you doing this, Kevin? <laughs> well, what I always like to tell Alice is it's because I felt sorry for her when I looked at how complicated <laughs> it was for her to try and do something like that. But um, the other half of the truth, though, is that, you know, in reality, it's kind of nice to be able to do something that you do out, you know, in the in the commercial world, but to have perhaps more of a lasting, you know, point to what you're doing. And so it's one thing to design something to make a bunch of money, and we all, you know, would like to do that. But 
on the other hand, it's kind of nice to be able to use your skills to, to help other people in a way that goes beyond that money. Well, thanks for what you're doing. I'll let you get back to work. Uh, and there others are working away here, too. So you both refurbish bikes and, and custom make these trikes that, yes. that go out. Tell me some more of the reaction and some of those uh, God stories that you were telling earlier. <laughs> well, over here at the end, we have one of those God stories in Tom. And in 2005, I had started the program, and I was having a Sabbath rest. And I had closed my computer and the phone and the door. And I get this knock on my door, and it's a guy who had a $7,000, $8,000 racing bike, and he's coming up and asking me about the trash in front of my house. Now, Tom's here. I would ask him the rest of the story. All right. Well, should we go over and talk to Tom yes. about it? All right. Let's uh, walk across the shop here. Tom in the green, right? Is this Tom? I'm Tom. All right. Tell us the rest of the story. Well, uh, I have a house of 11 children that live next door to me. And uh, people give them bicycles all the time. And most of the bicycles that they are given should have been thrown in the trash. So I've decided that I needed to repair their bikes so that they would be safe on the road. I also race bicycles, so that gets expensive to have those fixed all the time. And uh, I took a class and uh, learned bike mechanics. And she had all this really glorious junk on her uh, (coughs) parkway. That would help some of the bikes that, that I was going to repair for my neighbors. And uh, walked in and told her, and uh, if it asked her if it was trash and could I have it. And she gave me a look like, oh, don't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we stood and talked for a few minutes and found out that uh, I had recently retired and uh, was looking for something to do. Uh, was a bicycle mechanic, which is something she needed. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, was in my truck, having only met me like 10, 15 minutes earlier, and we're going to pick up bikes from a bike shop. Best friends forever, huh? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks so much. Thanks for what you're doing here. Alice, what's the bottom line of all this for you? Well, I think the bottom line for me is... um, I have learned that when God asks us to do something, that he wants us to obey him. Now this, uh, when, when I was 15, my brother told me he was going to buy me a bike shop when, I, uh, when he got, became a millionaire. And a few weeks ago, I asked him, how did he do? Um, <laughs> and he said, wow, I couldn't have thought of something this big, nor could I have. But God wants to use our weaknesses, and it's in our weaknesses that he is strong. Because what's going on here is way beyond me. I, I could have never built a trike, even though I thought I was going to go take a welding class. But it was the dream. It was the passion I had that Kevin responded to. It was the passion I had that Tom responded to. And Tom has said this has given his life purpose. And Kevin, who built the trike, said, I found what I was created to do. It's a great team led by a woman, Alice Thiessen, who followed God's call in spite of her disability. You'll want to visit the website for His Wheels International, so to make it as easy as possible to find, just visit firstpersoninterview.com where you'll find the link. Again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. And by the way, we'll post some photos I took that day with Alice and her team on our Facebook page. Just search for First Person with Wayne Shepherd when you go to Facebook. 
Also on the website, firstpersoninterview.com, you'll find an archive of past programs. So if you've missed any of our broadcasts, you'll find them online at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, I want you to meet a friend who serves as a pastor in Romania. Before the revolution, Christian Barbosa was persecuted for his faith. After the revolution, God is using him to build his church in Romania. You'll get the whole story next week on First Person. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next week for First Person.